That's mine. God damn. <laughs> yeah, we're live now. <laughs> Thomas, <laughs> now that I can't hear out of either ear, and now you've turned me down too low, when you're done futzing with yours, <laughs> get off of it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Lost in the Long Bucks for Wednesday, June 6th. Did, did I actually hear, did, you, did I actually cuss and say that's mine? <laughs> So, so I think Thomas, was playing, word. Thomas was playing with a headset, and he cranked mine up to 11. Wonder, why is this not getting louder? I they all go to 11 I up to 11. It only goes up to 10. Right. Well, well you were killing me is what you were doing. So, And the, and the, opening, the opening music was playing at the time, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was not a pleasant experience. All right. So, usually, I go around the table and ask everybody how their weekends were. I'm going to do it a little bit different here. Um, Mad Men, how was your weekend? Good. Awesome. Uh, Thomas, your weekend? Uh, just fine. All right. Uh, mine was okay. Enos, you know I saved yours for last because I'm going to ask you, how was GalaxyCon down in Richmond, Virginia? Outstanding. Back away from your mic a bit, brother. Outstanding. There you go. I see you came back without I, the I, Holy I, Grail. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. But I see I you do have a couple of goodies. I like how he just says outstanding and then just leaves her brother hanging. So tell us what you have there. I see that you got to meet John Wesley Ship. Yes, um, I did. TV's original Flash. Exactly, and um, got the opportunity to get um, photos with uh, um, not only John Wesley Ship, but the one and only Kevin Conroy, the I voice love, of Batman uh, himself. I'm so jelly of that photo. And... Uh, Bread breeding, and I have also a signed flash by Mark Wade. Nice, very awesome. So, uh, listeners, by the way, Enos has posted his pictures on our Lost in the Long Box Facebook with his uh, handsome mug sitting behind these celebrities, so or beside the celebrities. So, make sure you uh, get out there and take a look at that. Let me see your John Wesley ship photo there, my brother. And where it's not comic book related, he has a pretty sweet autograph from Magnum TA over there, too. But you can show the cameras if you like. Is a camera up? Nope. Because I got a black screen. Yeah, I know. I told you earlier. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. So you're saying, all right. It is working just... Yeah. You can see the cameras, though, right? I can see the camera, yes. Okay. But I can't see That's what cool, I... Man. I can't see what you're seeing, so... Down a little bit? Good, good. That's lovely. Yes. Yeah, so I actually have... My autograph photo is actually just of him in the suit here. I don't have the dual portrait one that Enos has here. I had to get... That was kind of like... Man, you have no idea how difficult it was to, to decide on which picture. I wanted to get one of him as Jay Garrett because I just don't know what it is about Jay, but it's kind of like you can't be a Flash fan and not have a special place in your heart for him because he was the first. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, he was the one that I wanted to play Jay Garrick when the show started, so it was kind of great. They took him to hell and back, but I'm glad they finally came up with him as Jay Garrick. Here's the Mark Wade signed Flash. Sweet. Nice. Um, and I was going to say, like I told you earlier, uh, is he not such an awesome guy, J John Wesley? Yes, Ship? he is. I mean, yes, he is. Is that showing up right there, Madman? Yeah, the crow keeps messing with the greens and blues, but it okay. it's, it's cool. looks cool. I And I'll make sure that, uh, by the way, guys, we're going to start getting um, our videos up as well. Madman's been recording the show for the last uh, probably month and a half now. Yeah, um, so that last we, six we, shows. we got video of us doing this as well. I'm going to make sure we get that up on our on our YouTube. Um, and what's this other photo Tommy mentioned that there? This is of uh, Virginia native Terry Allen, who uh, wrestled in NW in the NWA as Magnum TA. Came from Mid South, very popular wrestler. Tragically, he was involved in an accident that ended his career. Um, for a man who has been through as much as he has, he has a great spirit, very nice to talk to, had his son with him, and I got this and a uh, DVD, um, I Don't Quit the Story of Magnum TA for, for 30, so you nice. couldn't beat that. That's probably pretty good, I mean, because his match with Tully Blanchard and Star K, what was it, 83, I believe it was? 80, 85. 85, that's right. I Quit. The I Quit match was a thing of a legend. Yeah. Legend. Yeah, I really wish I could have done that show. I, um... For, for you listeners who don't know, some of my um, actual friends that are listeners as well know this, that uh, my wife and I are also beekeepers. And this that last weekend was also the same weekend as a bee conference here for the state. Um, and I was like, damn, I could be down at GalaxyCon right now. But, uh, hey, it's funny that I mentioned that because 
um, there was a lady at a table next to us from one of the other beekeeping organizations said something about her son was there Friday, but he wasn't there um, Saturday because he was down at GalaxyCon. And I'm thinking, ah, I would like to be to GalaxyCon too. It's, so I started asking her, so, well, is your son a big comic book nerd? She goes, no, actually I am. And I started reaching my pocket and went, and damn it, I don't have any Lost and Longbox cards. So I had to grab her phone and find the link for her. So I'm like, here, here's our podcast. Right. <laughs> There you go. And got the opportunity to meet Lou Ferrigno. Didn't uh, you know pass John Glover. Um, got the opportunity to talk with Michael Bell, who, if you are a fan of G.I. Joe, is the voice of Duke. Okay. Oh, wow. And, and he had, this man has a long and storied career in voice acting. I mean, you name it, he's he, – I think the only person that's um, – that's probably more accredited as far as different TV shows or as being a voice actor is Frank Welker. Yep. And um, he was Zan on the Super Friends. He was Ernie Devlin, Duke, Major Blood. Um, what was the name of the two guys that was uh, kind of like the... Zart- Zart- Are you talking about Tomax and Zaymont? Yeah. The Crimson Twins? Uh, the Crimson Twins, yes. I, I, I refer to as the Corsican Brothers because that's the first <laughs> thing I think of when you... <laughs> And um, I mean this this guy, and he's excellent. The, the mo, they say you should never meet your heroes, but I think they um made an exception when it comes down to comic books and pop culture because everyone that I encountered was very gracious, very kind, and was very interested in the fact you're know, very glad, appreciative of the fact that you were a fan of theirs. But then again, I didn't walk up there acting stupid either. Right. I, I will say that I've had a few bad celebrity encounters whose names I won't mention on air, um, but I have yet to ever have a bad encounter with a comic book artist or writer. No. Um, so. All right. I'm glad you had fun. We actually have um, another one coming up here in Fredericksburg in, in July, like July 6th, um, which is the Fredericksburg Game and Toy Show, I think. A right. Comic and Toy Fred Show. Con. No, they, they, they changed the name. It was Fredcon. They changed the name. Okay. Yeah, they, they have actually rebranded it. But speaking of rebranding, which, see how I use that to segue into our noteworthy news items? So, I guess you heard that San Diego Comic Con is now suing all the other conventions that they can't use the word comic in their name. Um, well, I got a letter from Mile High Comics, because, you know, I do still have my uh, pull, you know, some of my pull lists under nice description. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Denver Comic Con rebranded their show this year because the whole San Diego Comic Con sued them, and their attendance went down. Mm. Because the people who came to it uh, suddenly assumed it was not a comic book show, but was more of another Hollycon. Ah. Well, and that's what they came for. So he said sales were down, and I think it was um, attendance was down for the first time in like 15 years or something like that. I don't that's kind of selfish, don't you think? Yeah. So San Diego Comic Con is basically suing all the other cons, saying we have an exclusive on Comic Con. And the way I understand it, they should have taken comic out of their moniker years ago. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've never been. I mean, that, there's a part of me that does want to, you know, go at least once before I die because, you know, it's Comic Con. I, I would but. like to at least go once so I can say that I've been. And, and I do have a resource. I mean, I, I have a friend who's um, with Prism Comics out there, so I'm sure if I wanted to go, I could say, hey, if I work your booth for a few hours each, each day, will you get me a dealer's pass, basically? So. Well, well I'll at- tell you what. If I get published, and I get invited. I'm going to take you guys with me. That's there we right. Go. We'll be his entourage. There we go. I'll, I'll take you guys we'll... with me. And uh, they have some, one of the things I liked about the um, GalaxyCon is that um, wives and spouses and everything, they had they sat with 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 um, the guests. So they sat oh, with yeah. their husbands and everything, was so, which is pretty cool. So if I ever get married, I can say, hey, honey, if you want to go, you can sit right with us. And I think they had them had lunch somewhere when it came time for lunch, you know, away from the fans or what have you. I would have got Ernie Hudson, but uh, his was kind of steep, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I've seen some, and even at AwesomeCon, I've seen some of the artists writers have had their families with them sitting there behind a yeah. table, and it's, right. and they'd come up while they're signing and say, hey, Dad, I want to, okay, fine, just, just go, I'm signing. <laughs> right. All right, so back on to other news. It looks like, um, I don't know why this is still a thing and why we still have to get confirming this every week. Robert Pattinson has definitely been confirmed from Warner Brothers as Batman. Right. Mm-hmm. Had they not decided this a couple weeks ago, I mean, now we're actually Warner Brothers, and yes, he is going to be the guy. What, what I think is interesting about this, and I don't know how accurate this is, but I read another report that supposedly Matt Reeves, who's directing the new Batman movie, is claiming that Ben Affleck was never part of his plans. 
And I'm like, well, uh, what? Yeah, I, I remember reading that. Not only was Ben starring in it, but Ben was writing it and, and, pro- directing, and directing it. it. And then he went into rehab. So then the directorship got taken away, but he was still writing and starring. And then the next thing I knew, the starring in had disappeared and he was just writing. So eventually it was just, okay, he's not affiliated at all. And now Matt Reeves. But you know what? If Matt Reeves took it over after Ben said, hey, by the way, I'm on the sauce again. I need, I'm sorry, Ben. I, I, <laughs> I, I need to go back into rehab. <laughs> then I can see where Matt Reeves is like, well, I have a new vision as a younger Batman, and that's not Ben. So I, I don't know. I really think they need to have him as part of their franchise. Yeah. Right. Well, you know what you do? And I, I've read this someplace else, and I wholeheartedly agree with this. You do a, a Batman Beyond, and you have Ben Affleck be the older Bruce Wayne, right. and then you cast a younger Batman for Terry right. McGinnis. So right. perfectly works to me. Um, if I was going to do that, though, I'd, I'd go with Michael Keaton to be the older Bruce Wayne. That's true, too. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. He, he would probably pull it off a lot better being that, forgive me, that being that he is older. And yeah. he's Batman. And, and I, that is still one of my favorite Batmans is the very first one where he's about to kill, where he's got the thug hanging over the lake. Like, Don't kill me. And you're like, I'm not going to kill you. I've always envisioned Kevin Conroy. Yeah. I always, every time, this is crazy, but being that I met Kevin Conroy, I asked, said to him, I said, you know I wanted you to do, I said, I, I wish you had, I wanted you to do Hush. He said, so did I. <laughs> now, he said, no, I said, I'm just playing. He, he said, so did I. And as he said, but... He said, I didn't know they were doing it. And I'm like, I don't have anything against Jason O'Mara, O'Mara or however you say his name. But to me, he doesn't capture Batman vocally the way Kevin Conroy and Bruce Green would do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, what is it? Did he do the voice that was in uh, New Frontiers or whatever? No, that no. was um, oh, that was Jeremy Sisto. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, with the oh. most of the DC animateds, they recast voice actors for all of those. But if you go back to say like the Batman anime series and the Justice League series, those are all Kevin Conroy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and he's awesome. Which just like, uh, and I know I have mentioned this before. Just like uh, Tim Daly for oh, a Superman. long time was Superman. Oh man! And my wife and I like to watch Madam Secretary. Just to hear him and, talk. And he plays the husband in that, you know, Dr. McCord. And every once in a while I close my eyes and I said, I can see Superman saying that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Other news. So, and this one, I got to tell you, this was one that I remembered hearing about and then just quickly fell out of my memory until I read this. So DC Comics artist Jason Favok has provided an update on his upcoming um, book with Jeff Johns, Batman Three Jokers, saying that it has a release date coming soon. It's going to be a Black Label title. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. They talked about that earlier. um, Like way, way back when Rebirth started. Because I don't know, did you read that, Tommy, with the whole DC Universe Rebirth? Batman gets into the Mobius chair, which is fantastic. Yeah. And he asked the Mobius chair, who is a Joker? And the chair replied with, which one? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I heard that there's three jokes. And, three and that, of them. And that's what this is supposed to be. But they announced it so early on that I literally just totally forgot about this when I saw this news article. I'm like, are they still doing that? I'm like, man, I forgot all about that. And I love that guy's artwork. So, Jason yeah. Fabok does an awesome Batman. And, and other DC Black Label news, too. They've announced a new Joker, Harley Quinn, Criminal Sanity um, miniseries. It's going to be nine issues, but it's also going to be in Black Label um, imprint by uh, Cameron Garcia and artist Mike Mayhew and Miko Sion. But here, here's my problem. While I really love that DC's now doing these Black Label books, I think they're doing the same thing they did with Elseworlds. They're getting Batman heavy. Yeah. Um, g- give me something else. Now, I think the um, that Superman Year One miniseries, is that going to be Black Label, or is that just going to be a prestige format? I, I think it's just prestige format. I think format, it's just, the, just the prestige. One. Talking about that, Frank Miller, That's the one right? with Frank Miller, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so. Let's think about it. So we got Batman Damned, which I still have to see issue three. Thank you, DC. Let's just push that backward. You know, this is going to end up being the Camelot three thousand of twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, what have you. Um. So that's like, and I think the new the follow up to Batman White Knight is going to be a black label, if I'm not mistaken, unless they put have taken that off and put it on a regular prestige. But that's like four or five Batman series, just on the black label imprint. So. Yeah, guys, branch out. You have other great characters that you can do something. Like, can you imagine a Black Label Swamp thing? Swamp thing. Where you can get a little more mature titles on it? I had two games. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to say. I've got to see that show. Or or a a Black Label um, John Constantine, too. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
especially since to the other news item that I'm going to let's go ahead and just bleed Zatanna down. Zatanna would be a good for good fit for Black Label. Let's just, oh yeah. Let's just uh, drop down to it right now. Um, I got this off a of bleeding cool the other day um, that supposedly DC is about to nix the Vertigo line. I was reading that too, and that thing started like in 1993, um, and it was um, started by their DC uh, senior editor Karen Berger. Karen Berger. Um, who, when they revamped the, the whole line, she got she was fired basically. She lost her job over it. But I just because I've even reading that they said that projects that they actually were greenlit now contracts are being revoked. They're straight up returning character character properties to people. So wow. I, and I think now again, this is still just a rumor. Speculation is they're going to actually confirm or deny it come STCC. Which is that's just a couple of weeks, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? That's not far. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if at the DC panel they're going to announce or nixing it. What I think they're going to do, honestly, I think they're going to absorb any of the vertical stuff into the Black Label imprint. That, that's what it I makes can see sense. Them. Because Black Label is what Vertigo was in '93. It's yeah. their harder, grittier stuff. So right. I think they're just, and, and you know why? Because the big difference between Vertigo and Black Label is DC will own you lock, stock, and barrel on Black Label where they don't in Vertigo. Right. And, and I think that's the big thing is that they were losing money, but especially since some of the things were being made, movies like Constantine, right. DC didn't get any touch of that, any cut of that because they don't own it. Right. Not that that movie did anything, but you know, Who, hey. Uh, does, does Alan, did Alan Moore create that character? He first appeared in Swamp Thing that's, during that Moore's run, right. so I wouldn't be surprised that he, right. if he did. Probably. I'm not. I'm not 100 certain, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did, based when he made his first appearance. Right. Right. I met. Um, not to get off subject, but I met. Um, I'm ready. This the reason why I'm segueing to this. I met Gary Cohn and Paris Cullens, the original creators of Blue Devil, and uh, Gary lives in Richmond. So if Gary, if you're listening, shout out. Was he not at a uh, GalaxyCon? He was at GalaxyCon. Oh, okay. And so was Paris Cullens. Paris Cullens is cool as I don't know what. So I'm, I wound up um, solidifying a lot of friendships with these guys on Facebook. And because after a while, it's going to be most of the people that I'm not, no, not that's a terrible thing to say. But the majority <laughs> of the, um, the most, um, the, you're going to see, like, I'm going to be in contact with um, comic book creators because I'm trying to get into that, trying to get into that line of work. Figure if I'm gonna be a creator, dog, gonna start acting like so. One. So Thomas Madman, you see what he tried to not say there, right? That he stumbled over. Is that eventually I'll be hanging out with the big dogs, and I don't want to know who the hell you guys are. Basically, see, no, I didn't. There you go. <laughs> but there you go. Back back to Constantine. Um, it's Alan Moore, Steve Bissett, Rick Veach, and John Tobin. Rick Veach. I used to love Rick. Are, Veach. Were the creators of Constantine. Mm. Apparently, I didn't realize this, but it makes a lot of sense now. Singer-songwriter Sting was the visual inspiration for the character. Oh, my God. Oh, I totally oh my see God, it. I can't yeah. unsee that now. Yeah, I, yeah. I never thought about it, but, but now looking at, at, at a picture of Sting right here on his Wikipedia page, yeah, I, I see that completely. And now I see Constantine with his trench coat and his cigarette singing, You'll be wrapped around my finger. <laughs> I see him more with a, as a police version of, of Constantine. Right, right. Yeah. I I, to I totally want Sting to play Constantine now. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, um, Matt Reeves isn't that the guy who uh, plays uh, Constantine? No, Matt the, Ryan. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan. He's uh, Matt Reeves' perfect. Batman director. He was perfect Constantine. He, he's yeah. going to be down at Dragon Con. I might have to go talk to that gentleman. Yeah. Man. All right. So other news. Let's move on because we tend to digress. Matt, I'm surprised Madman doesn't have cue cards to hold him up and go on off topic, off topic. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, Matt, sure Madman jumps in too. So. Uh, yep. Uh, other news, and I actually kind of admit that I, I like this one. So the Marvel editor-in-chief, C.B. Sibolsky, I guess that's how you pronounce it, said that um, death in the Marvel Universe might start becoming a more permanent thing instead of they're dead in September and they're back alive in November. I think, hope so. I think and, that's a good idea. Because he even says here that uh, I don't want death to be used to boost sales or to use as a shock value to people. So if we choose to do it now, we're going to add a little more weight and prominence to the decision. Well, that and makes like, it more of a shock value. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm exactly. like, you know what, uh, CV? I will totally get behind that because both companies, you know, DC and Marvel, and to a lesser degree, even the other guys, have managed to kill the character and just bring him back from the dead several months later. Mm-hmm. Now, when it's a good story, that's a bonus, but a lot of times you can tell it's a money grab. Well, to, to me, the real, the only real death storyline that worked when they died and brought them back 
was Superman because the whole purpose of that was to develop an appreciation for the character because he pretty much had been like pushed to the wayside because he wasn't respected anymore and it was the that creation to create the creation of that character that launched off the age of superheroes anyway right and you know what i really liked about that storyline was when he came back um there was a special issue where phantom stranger showed up at his door right. and he's basically telling superman so, so let me, you know, make sure you don't misunderstand me here, Kal-El. Your body's physiology has been permanently changed as a result of this. And he tells them, you can't pull that trick again. Mm-hmm. So that was actually DC, you know, writers and editors saying, don't do it again. We've used that. You know, we've right. used it up. Don't fall back on it. Right. Because remember, the whole thing was they said that his body was basically a giant solar capacitor. And even as he was dying, it was healing the cells right even as right. they were burying them. Right. And Kallax and the other robots knew that, which is why they grabbed the body. Right. But, yeah, I, I did really love the fact that Phantom Stranger said, you can't pull the stunt again. Now, that is someone who I would like to see in the DC Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Phantom Stranger. Oh, that would be so awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, you could like link link different movies. He could be like a cameo character. Well, he'd work really great in a TV series. Yeah. Anybody from CW listening? Pick up Phantom Stranger. What what are they using him as now? I know at one point he was supposed to be Judas. Well, I know the last I remember seeing him was in the... um, After New 52 when they did the the Trinity series with him and Pandora and... uh, Crap, I can't remember who the third character was. Uh, mm. Didn't last very long. Was it Madame Xanadu? No, it wasn't Madame Xanadu. I, it, I know who you're talking it was about. One of, it was one of their more famous uh, occult characters, and they were basically at war with one another. I want to say Spectre oh, was in there. I want to say Spectre. Yeah. It's going to be Spectre. Yeah. yeah. Because, so. because didn't the Spectre go crazy and kill Shazam, mm-hmm. which led right. to the Freddie Freeman being Shazam or Captain Marvel, right. and Captain Marvel becoming the wizard living in the Rock of Eternity? Yep. So, yeah, that was it. But, yeah, Phantom Stranger, um, I think, was in that. So, other news, Diamond, well, big surprise here, said that the 2019 free comic book day was a big hit. I'm like, well, gee, you think? But they actually said that um, there was over 5.2 million comic books distributed worldwide and that they estimated about $4 million in free publicity for the comic book industry um, and for the stores were, um, were generated. And they said about 1.35 million people took part in the in the event worldwide. So, or in the event anyway. So, and I can believe it because I remember the very first one. There was just maybe one or two titles that was out, and it was just a regular comic book day and right. stop. Now you go over there, and it's a huge event, man. There's yeah. tents up, and there's entertainment, like, and there's food being. Hell, flashback did it. The up. one the one in Enos I went to had a food truck there. Yeah, man. <laughs> and it was a big event. I have. I got to give props to them. I've, I've never seen a free comic book day done that way. Yeah. You know, to, the, to that extent. Um, so got a couple of new releases that came out this week. A um, couple of ones. Uh, Black Cat, number one. <coughs> By the way, the art germ cover on that looks amazing. Thomas, where is that copy? I'm going to show it to Enos, and I'm going to show it to he the gave it. A, he gave it to him, but then he's been like pulled right, it out and then like I, two or three times. Right. Oh, yeah, he, he, so, he gave it to me, but he's taken it back like yeah. five times. Well, I, I still want have, you to know it's mine. I still have mine at home. So that's the whoa, that's the Art Germ Black Cat cover. That's pretty cool. That guy's yeah, really, freaking phenomenal, really. man. Oh, amazing just, artist. And I just got my previews this week, and I am so excited. I'm going to get on this title just for this. Um, Dynamite has solicited that he's doing an alter, alternate cover for Vampirella number two. So I will bring that in next week to show you. And they've even said, you know, you know, our first art germ variant cover. So I'm like, yeah, I get all over that. Another one that came out today, and I'm really I'm telling people about this is because it's a new company, and I think they're about to do the same thing Valiant did way back in the '90s. Um, so there's a company called Humanoids, and Ignited Number One, which is written by Mark Wade, hit the shelf today. Ah. Um, but I've noticed that they have two more superhero titles coming now, and they're doing them staggered. So like. This month, Humanoids 1 came out, and then next month, it'll be Humanoids 2 and Strangelands, number one. And then the third month, it'll be like, obviously, Humanoids number three, Strangelands number two, and Omni number one. But if you read the descriptions and previews, they seem to be all tied because there's all these people who have suddenly gotten superpowers and they don't know how or why. And I think they're getting ready to do what Jim Shooter was doing with Valiant in the 90s, where everything was going to be tied together to one big explosive story at the end. And then, you know, Acclaim came along and screwed it all up. So, so yeah, go to your comic shop, get Ignited number one. Um, I know I have mine coming from uh, that <clears throat> mail order mail order place there that I don't want to mention online. 
Um, so that is the new releases, the, the news items that I found interesting. Did you guys see or read anything that you said, hey, I want to make sure we talk about that? Um, there's a new, there's a one-shot Hulk that was coming out this week. Yes, oh, with yes. Dale Keown. And Dale yeah, Keown and Peter David. Oh, well, man, I got to get that. Um, I was surprised you didn't bring that up. Let me, give me, give me a minute Because you know what? I actually here. forgot it was out and I didn't look for it. It was like... Last and I just looked at the thing, news article last night on it. Yeah, let me let me find it here while while we're talking about. It. Yeah, but I, I was I was kind of surprised you didn't bring that up because that's one that I'm definitely interested in because you know Peter David's the man. Well, yeah. I tell you what, while we're looking that up, Madman's going to pay our bills because Absolutely. because the person paying our bills will probably have that comic you're thinking of. I'm sure they will. Absolutely, yeah. Lost in the Long Box is sponsored by Flashback Comics. Flashback Comics is located in Woodbridge, Virginia. And they have tons of new comics, back issues, trade paperbacks, toys, and statues. They are located in, in Woodbridge at 3112 PS Business Drive. It's just off Smoketown Road. They are open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. And on Sundays, they're open from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Do us a favor and tell Troy that Lost in the Long Box sent you. And if I may, I'd like to ask our listeners a, a favor. Surely, Absolutely. Uh, uh, we'd love to have some like fan art if you guys want to like do some art or something like that. We're we are the kind of guys who want to break into the comic book industry by being writers, right? <laughs> so we're looking that, for artists to draw it for us. Yeah, so if you want to, <laughs> yeah, if you want to like uh, send us a JPEG or something like that, you know, or PNG, whatever, you know, we can convert it. So uh, where can they email it to us? They can actually send it to us at lostinalongbox at gmail dot com. <coughs> Would love to have it. Uh, Tommy, the book is, is Incredible Hulk, Last, Last Call. Last Call, yes, I have it right here. And I totally forgot about that. I'm glad you said that. In fact, I will probably go back to the comic shop tomorrow yeah, that, to pick that up. That's one I definitely want to want to get a look at. So, awesome job. Oh, by the way, also, listeners, um, we would like to give our heartfelt appreciation and thanks to you guys. Yeah. Um, we are the fastest-growing podcast here at FXBG Public Radio. Um, Number thanks, one show. Thanks to you guys, uh, patronage and word of mouth. We have broken uh, 2,400 subscribers. So yeah. thank you. we're going to keep on going and, and hopefully bring you more content. We're looking at setting up a Patreon page, and I can tell you right now, one of the special offers we're going to be putting on there is um, – for one of the donations, we will let you pick the, sh the uh, subject of the show. Um, you will actually tell us, hey, I want you guys to talk about X. So we'll let yeah. you guys know when that's coming. Probably put it up on the Facebook page. All right. So this week's topic, I got to tell you. Um, so I had to have a minor eye surgery today. I had to get some laser stuff done uh, in my eye. And I was really afraid I wasn't going to make this show. And I really wanted to make this show because I love what we picked for tonight's subject. Yeah. We're going to talk about those great comic book runs, whether yeah. it be ones that actually saved the series that was dying or took it in a new direction and everybody humped on board and said, wow, this is really good. Or even if it was a new series that a company brought back and you're like, why in the hell are they bringing that back? And then you picked it up at issue one and went, okay, I see why you brought this back. Um, so yeah, we got some great ones here. Uh, Tommy and I were comparing notes. So since we were comparing notes, Enos, you get to start. Okay. Well, one of my favorite runs let me backtrack a little bit 1983 the summer of 1983 was one of the best summers for comic books for me and one of the reasons why we got introduced to probably arguably one of the best runs on a single title ever and that is The Mighty Thor by Walter Simonson that was an awesome run Gave us Beta Ray Bill. And uh, for that reason, and um, I don't know if Thor was on the verge of being canceled. And I posted this on the comic book collecting site uh, for about a month ago to pose the question, is there another run greater than Simonson's run on Thor? And I got a lot of folks, I won't say backlash, but I got a lot of people saying, what about Lee and Kirby? You can't count Lee and Kirby because they started it. They right. introduced us to well, Thor. Well, okay. I, I have a counterpoint on that later. but Okay. I mean, you know, but in the journey into mystery, they brought it to us. But, like, basically from then on, Thor was a guy, as far as his own title, you either took it or leave it. You took it or left it. But it was, but the irony of it all, Avengers sold like hotcakes, and it was due to him being a big part of that. You saw him do more, and you saw why he was such a bad, a bad, you know what, in the pages of Avengers. And then 
it was like you picked up Thor when you were in the mood for it. But when I saw the ad, house ad, on the last page of a G.I. Joe comic by um, Simonson, Thor is standing on the battlefield. His cape is torn, blowing in the wind. His boots are jacked up. He's holding his um, helmet. He's holding me on there. And there's some tatters. And then there's some. There's a bunch of bodies stretched out on, on the field. And I was like, I got to read this. Yeah, I got to. I got to check that. And out. I and I will say, I always liked Thor in Avengers, but I never read the title more right. than an issue here or an issue there. Because exactly. I, get, I just couldn't get into it. But but when they hit that book, oh yeah, it suddenly got interesting, and I find myself picking it up more regularly because I was like, okay, finally I can get into this guy. Right. And the, the way the artwork, I mean. If if there was one word to describe Simonson's run on Thor, it was consistency. Right, right. That was it. I name me another series that went other than Peter David's run on the Incredible Hulk, where you got the same consistency every issue. Simonson wrote that doggone book where you had to get. But if you were going to spend, what was it, 60 cents at the time? 60 yeah. to 65 cents? Man, I wish it was if, still that. Who are you telling? <laughs> if you were going to spend 65 cents, and it, I, put it, I put it in this, put it in this um, verbatim uh, or, or scenario. I was watching the Temptations movie one time, um, and Barry Gordy played a record play, and he asked his, asked his um, people, he said, if you had a choice of buying a sandwich or buying this record, which would you buy? Would you buy the record over the sandwich? I don't know if I'm hungry. That record will stay. Are you talking about the same movie that ran like three hours long? It it was Um, a miniseries. That was great. I remember I thought I was the only person who saw that. And it's got the scene where they're standing out in the front of the uh, Motown Records for like hours trying to think of their name. Think of their name. That was a a great movie. That was a great movie. And And he would ask his people, okay, if you had a choice between buying a sandwich and buying this 45, what would you do? Mm. And that is how good Simonson's run on Thor was. Right. And I think the only one that's come close to him is J. Michael Straczynski and Olivia Copiel. Yeah. Copiel. Well, well, I here's have to the, ask what kind of sandwich it well, was. Well, here's, well, here's the, well here, here's, here, put, it in, put it in combo collector um, terminology. You just went to 7-Eleven. And you bought a pile of comics for that Saturday, and you see this Thor, and now you're asking yourself, okay, I could either buy one more comic for this Thor, or I could get a Coke and a bag of chips to go with these comics that I'm reading. It's uh, that type of analogy. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably go with with the comic, but I wasn't allowed to drink Coke growing up, so I may have got that Coke. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna say for sure. But, but my parents didn't let us have sodas growing up, so if if, if but, no one but, was around and I could but, buy a soda, I, I probably would have went with. But the but soda. I'm saying it's it's along that lines. It's, it's the same type of analogy because yeah. I did it all the time. Yeah. Damn, I really want this comic, but I was hoping to get a, a Mountain Dew and some chips to go with this. Well, you know what? I got tea at home and, yeah. and whatever. I'll, and I'll, that, and, that's when you remember what you have at home. Right. Real quick. Exactly, real quick. What's in the cabinet? What did mom buy? Well, yeah, what kind of Kool-Aid do I have at home, or do I want this soda? Right. And ironically, that same year, there was an issue of Batman that was uh, when Don Newton was still alive, had a Simonson cover of Batman and the Joker fighting atop a skyscraper. Yep, yep. That was and um, I said, oh, I got to get this, but like I missed three. Th- I didn't get, and here's the irony: I didn't get number three thirty-seven till I got in the Air Force. Wow, yeah. And that and that was like three years later. So one of the ones that I have, um, and I'm and I'm cheating because again, I'm not necessarily doing one that was in the middle of a run where they revitalized the the, the current series or where they took a failing series that was dying. Um, I'm taking one where. They were both pulled over by the competing company to say, hey, we want you to launch this book. And they were like, okay, well, we'll do it, but on these conditions that we want other things done, expecting the title to only last 12, 13 issues. And then it was a runaway hit. And I'm referring to the, the awesome revitalization of the new Teen Titans by yes. Mara Wolfman and George Perez. Um, 
that was a book because if you remember in your comic history, George Perez came over because he'd been doing all the group books at Marvel, and and he had this thing he wanted to do huge groups. He said, "Well, I'll do Teen Titans, but I wanted a shot at, at drawing Justice League." And Marv Wolfman, part of his stipulation was, "I want to revamp that." CF of a multiverse you have. Right. So they both started Teen Titans, expecting it to only go 12 or 13 issues and get cut. And for the first three, first three or four issues, it didn't do good. And then it took off. And I think around issue five or six, it skyrocketed and it just kept on going. And if you think about it, look at all the great stories that came out of that run. It gave us the Trigon and Raven storyline, right. who was probably one of the best demons um, in the DC pantheon. That was um, a great arc. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And 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 because remember that's the whole reason she gets them to get this because Trigon's coming to Earth, you know. Yep. I need someone to help. Um, Deathstroke the Terminator, come on! This is where we get Deathstroke the Terminator, who is easily, easily one of DC's best bad guys out there. So much, in fact, that Marvel straight up ripped him off. Big and, and time. You, and you know they did. Sorry, Rob. Um, <laughs> gave us the Judas contract introduction of both Nightwing and Jericho. Uh, what I mean, and they've even made that a, one of the Warner premiere animated. So fantastic story. Not to mention, um, everybody overlooks the the really great who was Donna Troy or who was Wonder Girl story. Yes, that was great too. So th there was a lot of things that came out of the new Teen Titans. There's such a great, fantastic run, and, and I didn't know this until I'd researched it a while back. Marv Wolfen wrote that thing forever. Yeah, he did. I, I mean, Perez left it probably in the late 60 or 70 issue runs um, when they went over to the Baxter series and they started reprinting those. Right. But um, Wolven was there forever. So that was his baby right from the get-go. And I even found out, um, I want to go back and start getting the original 60s uh, Teen Titans because apparently those were well-written as well. I, I didn't know a whole yeah, lot of them. they were really good. Um, but Wolfman was um, piloting that as well. Well, and I mean, you know, it's one of those things too, you know, it just goes to show you when you have a great creative team, yeah, you can make anything work. Right, a good team that gets clicking, you know. Right, I mean exactly. a great a great writer and a great artist together, they can make anything work. And that, and, you know, even if, if, even if it was a struggling book before. And that really was the case with them because it was strictly Wolfman was writing it, Perez was was illustrating it, and very early on, it became this thing where they were both co-plotting and talking about it and working it out together, which is why those stories were just so fantastic and hold up to dates because both creative minds were sitting there bouncing ideas off of one another and would actually get other ideas doing that. Well, I mean, it's a well-established formula oh, I mean, yeah. since Simon and Schuster, you know, yeah, I mean, it's right. I mean, that's one of the, you know, when you, when you talk about teams, you know, you know, Simon and Kirby, Lee yeah. and Kirby, right. You know, Wolfman and Perez. I mean, you know, it's just, there's some people that just click. Yeah. And that, so even today, I mean, that's that's still one of my favorite runs. Thomas, what do you got? I have what I would thought was to be the the number one one that we had talked about, and the most obvious one, and that's uh, Chris Claremont on Uncanny X Men. Um, you know, Uncanny X Men was launched in 1963, and it was you know in the beginning it was just meh. It wasn't. It didn't do very well. well remember, it wasn't. It, it was it, actually cut. Right. Well, that's why I was just getting ready to get to it. It, it ran from 63 to 70 with new issues. And then from 70 to 75, which was issue 67 to 93, it was all reprints because nobody was buying it. I'm, I'm not really sure why they kept putting out the reprint issues, but they did. Um, and that's when, when Claremont took over with, with, um, in with issue 94, right after Giant Size 1. Right. That was Dave Cockrum, though, right? That was, that was Cockrum. Cockrum and Ween was on, yes. um, was on Giant Size 1. And then Chris Claremont came in with, with um, issue 94 and took it forward. And gave us things like the Dark Phoenix Saga, um, Days of Futures Past. I mean, he introduced all kinds of stuff. And you were talking about consistency. I mean, he was on that book from 75 to 91. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't think of any other person that's had a run of that nature. 75 to 91, that's 16 years. 16 yeah. years. I mean, yeah. who else has been on a book for 16 years? Exactly. I don't, I don't think, I think, I think Peter David was on the Hulk for 12 years. Right. And, and, um, um, Simonson didn't stay on Thor that long. No, no, he didn't. And you know, he he left that book in '91, but he came back in 2004 for for a run as well. So I mean, it's it's not you know they bought him back, right? But you know, this X Men is where you know it is today is one of the most popular comic books around, Absolutely. Well, because of Chris Claremont. Well, the Chris Claremont hands run down is the Chris Claremont run X Men is why DC said we need a teen super team. Who right. do we have? 
Right. right. What what can we resurrect? And it was Teen Titans. Right. And, and I mean, you know, he had he had, you know, Cockrum and, you know, later Burn for a while on that run as well. I mean, right. that's one of the reasons, you know, that I mean, that's some of the reasons the great art to go along with it as well. I mean, you know, he had some fantastic artists, especially early on. Well, don't forget the whole uh, not only do you have the Phoenix Saga, but you've got that whole great story with the Hellfire Club. The Hellfire it. Club. Yeah. Um, yeah. That introduces Kitty Pride because Kitty Pride comes out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma, and Emma Frost comes out of that. And one of my favorite stories was the Let Brood Saga. Oh. Was um, when they're they're on the ship. The, the brood have taken the X Men, taken them off Earth. They have been pregnated all of them with brood eggs. They're all being cured. Wolverine has found the brood queen. He is this close to killing her and ending the brood fet forever. And he gets ported out. And he's like, you know, because I think either the the Shi'ar Empire did or Cyclops had him ported back. And he's like, why did you do that? I could have ended it here and now. Right. Uh, that was such a great run. Yeah, I mean, this was, was when it was established that Magneto was a Holocaust survivor. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there. I mean, there's just so much came out of it. You know, Storm becoming the leader of the X Men. And right? let us not forget point. the classic Days of Future Past storyline. Oh, right? that's one of my yeah. all-time yeah. favorites. He did mention that. Yeah, oh, you did? My, I'm sorry. I did. Yeah, that's, that well, was, was that's the first one I mentioned. Well, you're that's never going to forget favorites. that fantastic cover of Wolverine on the front and the alleyway right, and with, all the deceased X Men crossed behind. Yeah, I have both of those books. That and the cover of Wolverine being. Disintegrated uh-huh. by the Sentinel. Amazing, oh, yeah. amazing stuff. And you know, it's you know, Jean Grey dies for the first of many times. And we were introduced to Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight. Yeah. There's again, there's so so many things that in the Marvel lexicon that people forget came out of Claremont's run on X Men. Exactly. Yeah. The Mutant Registration Act. You know, Infern. Later on, you got Inferno. I mean, it was amazing stuff. Um, it just. You know, I don't think enough can be said about Chris Claremont's run on the X Men. I mean, he took a, a title that was dead and turned it into one of the best, very underrated, one of the best selling books. Well, ever. remember, it was it was outselling Spider Man and Fantastic Four, the the staples of Marvel. Right. Right. Oh yeah, and I mean, it was probably Marvel's first successful film franchise because you know what was Howard the Duck was the first mo- the first Marvel film. <laughs> Oh my God! Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. Well, let's, well, let's think about that. Yeah, because yeah, X Men I mean, hit before the Raimi Spider Man did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because it came before Raimi Spider Man, and you know it came before the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. So I mean, it was their first you know successful film franchise. What was it? Well, or well, Conan? I don't know. Conan. Conan, Conan, Conan was not owned, well, Conan was but, not owned by, Mar- remember, by Marvel. But Robert E. Howard, that was licensed from Howard. Uh, yeah, that Howard was a license. Oh, okay. That was a license. And Marvel had nothing to do with that. Yeah. I don't know. I might kind of have to argue, uh, and I know I'm going to get slapped for this afterwards, for the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man, because it did have two seasons. <laughs> 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 so technically that's a success. Randy. <laughs> I'm just saying. Randy. And then probably, if being that I saw him this weekend, you might want to include Lou Ferrigno's run as the Hulk on the TV series. Oh, yeah, that's true. That that gets a powerful argument because that went, what, four or five seasons? Yeah. Uh, four, four seasons. Four, almost four five. seasons. I, don't, don't get me wrong. I love that, but I'm not no, putting it above X-Men. Because I, I do have all four seasons. I, I, don't think those, I'd, I still don't think I'd put that above X-Men. I'm just, I'm just saying. You said it was a first successful pr- film franchise, and I can argue it's not. But. Well, 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 yeah, well, you, you, could, you could possibly say it, but, fil- but I'm saying film franchise. The, the Lou Ferrigno Hulk was not a film franchise. Yeah, it was TV. You can get that's a technicality. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. All right. Hey, Madman, you got something on this while Tommy still gives me the hateful glares? Uh, <laughs> not really, because um, usually, you know, I'm, I'm an opportunistic reader. You know. Um, I'm not the kind of guy who has like a pull thing. It's like, yes, I want you every single issue of this um, set, set aside a copy for me. I'm not that kind of guy. I like going to the comic book store and looking at what, you know, because I, you know, I'm, you guys have got like rich kid problems where you're like, <laughs> oh, I've been collecting this run for 300 issues. You talking to us? Yeah. Rich yeah. kid problems? I, I've, been collecting this, I've been collecting this run for 300 <laughs> issues and then all of a sudden it got crappy and I'm like, then finally I sat, I, I kept reading him for another year. And then finally, they brought in this new artist and new new writer, right. and everything got good again. I mean, I just I go into a comic book store and I'm just like, whatever leaps out at me. And if I go home and I read that copy, it's like, well, I want to see where the story goes. Right. So then I'll then I'll like start getting that. But as soon as like a, a series starts getting crappy, I abandon it. Yeah. You know? So uh, it's, it's funny. Every once in a while, we're talking about great comics and great runs. I see Madman over there taking notes. <laughs> like yeah. I, I know what he's going to be asking after the show. <laughs> so one of the ones that I have. See, I'm I'm kind of torn on which one I want to go with next because 
I try to get to him before Enos does. Isn't that horrible that I know that him and I think alike and I try to get to him before he does? So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take this one um, because this, while it, this is probably one of the greatest comic runs of, of all comic history, and that is Fantastic Four issues 1 through 102 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby because so, so much of the Marvel Universe is born in that run. Oh, no doubt. I mean, that gives us so much argument surfer. there. Galactus. <laughs> well, Galactus and the Silver Surfer. You get the introduction to Black Panther. You get the introduction of the Inhumans, Doctor Doom, Annihilus in a Negative Zone. We get the reintroduction of the Silver Age Submariner. I mean, think about it. Yeah, that, that title was a spawn point. I mean, how much of the Marvel Universe owes their creation directly to Fantastic Four? The Impossible Man. Impossible Man. What the hell was Lee smoking when he came up with that character? That's fantastic. I don't know, but, but when I first saw him on the... One on the uh, '79 version of the TV series, it was Frank Welker, we, who we talked about before the show. Um, he did his voice, and it was like he was a funny character. And uh, I don't know. Um, the only other time we've seen the Impossible Man was during the '95 Fantastic Four animated series. Which, if you do not have that, folks, I suggest you get it because Is that the one with Herbie. No, <laughs> seventy. That's the one. Seventy-eight, seventy-nine. Okay. This one was part of the show that I talked about, was talking about, was part of the Marvel Action Hour back in 1994. And the second season in 95, they um, went and completely revamped the series and took it straight from the comic books. Behold a Distant Star. You got the introduction of the Black Panther, the Inhuman Saga. Was brought on was brought to TV on in that animated series, and um, the um, Galactus, Hulk, you name it, they brought it. You know, uh, I have to step back for just a moment. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Wasn't Adam Warlock when he was just known as him show up in FF? Yes. So yes. yes. So see, even yeah, even even Warlock, who, who's probably going to be showing up in one of the Marvel movies soon, started off in Fantastic Four. Like I said, there's so much of the Marvel Universe owes their roots to that comic book. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. You know, it was their first, it was their their first big one. So right, and and it was a book Lee didn't want to do. He was actually wanting to lead the company, and right. his, amazing. Enos, what do you got for me? I'm not. I don't. I don't know if this really had an impact on any sales, but I would say it is among one of the most important runs in the history of a comic book series or in the history of a character. That is Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Hard Traveling Heroes by Neil Adams. 76 Ad- through 80, 89, I have it right here. Yep, that was by, online. Uh, by, the, by the classic combination of Neil Ad- Denny O'Neill and Neil, Neil Adams. Adams. Yeah, yep. my favorite pair. Right. Those and guys are great. Let me tell you all something. This book had superheroes attacking real social so, issues. Yeah. Um... I just O'Neill he, he he touched the nerve because when this was going on, excuse me for a moment. You got a crick in your back that you got to get out. That's Krampus. <laughs> so yeah, actually, at, what you're saying is I think this is probably one of the first comics that decided to actually tackle real social issues. Hence the name Hard Traveling Heroes, because exactly. remember, it was it was more doing what's morally right and less slam it with a superpower. Exactly. Well, and, you know, it, it featured things like drug use. Well, yeah, the songbirds don't fly. With, yeah, because that's where we were, you know, with speedy, 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 yeah. addicted speedy, to heroin, well, yeah. Was addicted to heroin. That was probably one, that was one that made headlines. Because yeah. they, 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 as you know, um, the Comics Code was created when that quack, Frederick Wortham had the book called The Seduction of the Innocent. I think that's something we need to deal with on this uh, episode. I would love to find a copy of that. And yeah, and basically he said, Batman, Robin were gay, Superman was a white supremacist or something like that, and Wonder Woman was uh, was like the S&M, object, bondage, S&M kind of bondage type hero, which was complete and utter garbage, and he went as far as to say comic books was the reason for juvenile delinquency. And the late Stan Lee right. said, him, said himself, he said, well, 
a lot of um, juvenile delinquents drank milk too, but you know nobody's blaming. But milk. but nobody's mm. been blaming the cows. Yeah. So I mean, but um, but I digress. One of the things that I liked about the hard traveling heroes was like in that very beginning art, an old black man walks up to Hal Jordan. He says, "I hear you're one of those." I'm paraphrasing, folks. I'm trying to remember as much as I can. I, I hear about you all the time fighting these pink skins, these green skin right. aliens. Yeah. And let me ask you something, Mr. Greenland. What have you done for the black skins? Yeah. I can and, see that panel. It, it's in my head. I see yeah, it. Yeah, I see it. Exactly. And he, and 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 he, Hal Jordan, and the way Neil Neil Adams was so ahead of his time. He was the first guy that just did one-dimensional drawing, but they looked so realistic. Well, I because mean, the way, expressions. Exactly. Expressions. The way Jordan held his head down mm-hmm. was, un, was oh, it was fantastic. And then they dealt with religion, and they talked about, um, he addressed the assassinations of Bobby Kennedy and um, um, uh, Dr. King. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and, exactly. And um, th- th- it was kind of like a no holes barred social commentary through the eyes of two completely different superheroes who found that they had a lot more common ground than they thought. Yeah, I and, mean, plus I think the conversations between Green right. Lantern it was it was basically like a a human being in their conscience, right? Uh, a debate within your own head about what is right, and that's I think was pioneering about that series is that you know. Yeah, it's easy to write a fictional supervillain, but, you know, there are real issues in the well, world that I, heroes need to conquer. Well, know? that was a great thing about it because Green Arrow served as the moral compass to Green exactly. Lantern that's, because that's he right. basically told him, you don't see it down here on the ground because you can just fly away when things get bothersome. Get well, down here where it's real and see what I see. Well, that's, I mean, there was a conscience effort by Denny O'Neill to make Green Arrow the, the voice of the streets, the voice of the people, right. leftist. And, and, as you rem- and, if you, and as you recall, gentlemen, that carried over into when Green Arrow was made part of Justice League Unlimited. Right. Yeah, yeah he's, he's and, been liberal ever since. And, right, exactly. And like, and like um, Ken Schreiner nailed, vocally nailed him. Now, Neil McDonough did a good job on the Green Arrow animated short that is found on, I believe, um, oh my God, on the um, Superman versus Shazam. Superman and Superman and Shazam, The Return of Black Adam. Um, there's a second disc with all of the shorts. Jonah Hex, Jonah Hex, um, the Spectre. Um, yeah, if you have that, bring it in. Okay. <laughs> we'll um, definitely think, check that out. I think that's on in a trade collection because it's been collected more than a few times. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 on disc. It's called it's animated series. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, def. Oh yeah, and gentlemen, not to get off subject. You, you we talked about the Daredevil um, director's cut. It is on sale in Walmart, Blu-ray for seven dollars and some odd cents. It's worth the view. Yeah, if you haven't seen if it, if you guys whoever doesn't have it, they've got it. You got to get Electra though. Uh, but uh, that, but um, that is available. All right, I might have to look at that because I had just a rug one. All right, so before we run out of time here. Crap ball. Sorry if you guys heard that. Um, Thomas, what do you got? Well, we're, we're going to be sticking with Green Lantern, and I'm going to go with uh, Jeff Johns's run on Green Lantern when he bought when he bought the title back after you know everything had been destroyed. You know, and Kyle Reiner had become the the last, or was it Reiner or Rainer? Rainer. 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 I, yeah, I, I can, hate him. I yeah, he's he's never one of my. I, he's not my least favorite. He's no Guy Gardner. Yeah, he's not Guy Gardner. He's not Guy Gardner. Like it's not but, John Stewart either. But he's not John Stewart either, or he's not Hal Jordan. But yeah, Jeff Johns bought bought him back, and you know, you know, with with his Green Lantern rebirth, bought us, gave us the emotional spectrum, not just the uh, the will, you know, the fear and the hope and and everything. Yeah, expanded the expanded top, everything. Yeah. Gave us right. you know, brightest day, darkest night. You know, some great stories there. You know, he was he was on Green Lantern. You know, not as long as Claremont was with X Men, but for quite some time. Well, but but and, but here's the thing though. He didn't just revamp Green Lantern. He also did Green Lantern Corps too, remember? Right. Right. So he's overseeing basically two books there, and he's doing just as many issues for both of them. So right, I mean, uh, you know, and, and we, he he bought him back. I mean, this wasn't right. This was a character that you know, was. Yeah. I, I mean, and I I think I totally have to agree with that. He took the Green Lantern and and escalated it to a point that when DC <clears throat> even did their New Fifty Two relaunch, they said the two things they were keeping was um, all the Batman history. 
and the Green Lantern history. Right. Right. Because yeah. what Johns had done was so revolutionary. They liked all the color spectrum. They liked all the other ring cores. Yeah, Hal, Hal Jordan was an A-lister. Right. Oh, yeah. with, 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 with Jeff Johns, Hal Jordan was an A-lister. And I don't necessarily think he was before. I never. Mean, you know, never ever was before. I mean, he was powerful. I well, mean, the, the Green Lantern ring made him very powerful. He was often judged as the greatest Green Lantern, but he often took a backseat to Guy, John, and eventually right. when Kyle came along. Now, one thing I do want to say about Kyle, and speaking of particular, when Ron Mars took over. Oh, yes. Took over and brought and did the Emerald Twilight introduce Kyle. There was a storyline that fell in line with the um, Matthew Shepard situation. And what was um, Boys Don't Cry? That's the movie I've been trying to think about it all morning. Boys Don't Cry with Hillary Swank with the Brandon with the uh, Brandon Tina or Tina Brandon situation. Mm -hmm. um, they, he uh, used that platform to address that. So Green Lantern has really been a book that was not afraid to deal with social issues and go for the jugular on them. Right, yeah. well, and, and you know, I think I think too. You know, we were talking about him being an A-lister. He may he may have been like power-wise an A-lister, but I don't think with the fans that you would, yeah. cons would no, consider was, Green Lantern an no, A-lister no, oh, yeah, until no. Jeff came. Well, along. remember going back to the Neil Adams on and Denny O'Neill run, that actually got those stories got canceled, and the unpublished stories ended up as a backup feature in Flash. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. the book itself kept going just with a new creative team, which I, I still don't get that one because I remember. I never understood that. I, I remember thinking to myself, why are you doing backup features of Flash when the title's still going? Because I, always, cause I always used to wonder why Green Lantern was always showing up in the Flash when I, when I thought he was in his own book. Right. And, and, unless, and, and that was when, was, wasn't that when Mike Grell took over? Yes. I mean, there might be a little bit of a hiatus where they quit publishing Green Lantern for a while. I would have to actually research it and look. But, uh, but yeah, you're right, Tommy. It wasn't until Jeff Johns came along that that book actually became a top-selling title, and right. suddenly everybody liked it. Right. I mean, you know, it was amazing. Because it was for years. It was it was a hard sell. How I mean, do at, you... at, at the time, I, one of the things I remember is I, my two favorite books that were being put out were, were Jeff Johns' Green Lantern and Brew Baker's Captain America. Captain America. Right. And you had – it was just – it was crazy the contrast in, in, in styles, you know. You know, Ed Brubaker, you know, it was a lot more grittier and dark, whereas, you know, best city in the world was for, for uh, you know, Coast City was the best city of the world for right. Hal Jordan and everything like that. It was a lot more upbeat and everything. Right, so until Cyborg Superman nuked that thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I have one last one here. Um, and I think with next year and the follow-up movie coming out, we have to talk about this. And that's the George Perez Wonder Woman run from issues 1 through 62. Because Wonder Woman is another character, just like Green Lantern, that was always kind of overlooked. She liked when she was in, in Justice League or when she occasionally guest starred, but no one ever really read her book. Um, and so as a result of it, Crisis on Infinite Earth came out. We offed Wonder Woman. Um, they tend to just totally gloss over the fact that it's the Earth-1 Wonder Woman and the one that we before that never existed. But when George Perez rebooted that title... He created the vision of Wonder Woman that has stuck with every writer and artist since, oh, yeah. since the time he's done it. In fact, the Gal Gadot movie is based on his incarnation of it. Exactly. And if you look at even Justice League Animated, um, the very first episode where she comes from Themyscira to visit them, that's totally based off of George's vision of it. Oh, yeah. So he, he's another, that is another instance where um, an artist and a writer takes a book, takes a character, and says, there's a way to do this right, and I'm going to show you what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Too bad they don't give new talent. These big uh, um, companies don't give the new talent the opportunities they give the established because there are a lot of people out there who've got great ideas that they just won't listen to right, or exactly. they'll steal from them. And the, the latter is probably more than anything else, but what do I know? And, an, and another great one, too, um, and I know Enos will like this one, the Jack Kirby Fourth World stuff oh, yeah. with Mr. Miracle, New Gods, and Forever People, while, and even Jimmy Olsen, like 133 through 148, because that all takes place over in, in the Fourth World. That's where we get Dark Side for this time. Uh, it may not have been hard-hitting. It may not have actually lasted, but that set up an entire, and you know, that's what I'm looking for. A whole other world um, and dimension to DC Comics that just wasn't there before. Yeah. We were used to other dimensions and other multiverses, but you weren't used to one that was just all dark and dismal like this. Right. I got one a real quick one. 
the late Joe Kubert's run on Tarzan when DC took over Absolutely, the Absolutely, yes. I totally forgot about that. Man, I was like a minor Tarzan fan, but last week we talked about the books that impacted our lives. There's a house ad in, Bra- in Brave and the Bold, number 101, got Tarzan fighting, uh, um, I can't remember the ape's name, and I got hooked. On Tarzan from then, I've um, they uh, Dark Horse has the license to Tarzan, and if you want to get the Joe Kubert run, you have to buy the hard covers from uh, Dark Horse. Yep, McGill Gorilla, McGill Gorilla, no, <laughs> Great Ape, no, um, Great Great Ape, Great Ape, yeah. Gorilla Grod, uh, no, wasn't Gorilla Grod. <laughs> I won't find it. Kerchak, this is Kerchak. So I think this is actually going to have to be a revisited subject because I know there's tons of runs out there that we're oh, just yeah. not thinking of. Um, but anyway, listeners, again, thank you for tuning in. You've made us 2,400 subscribers strong. Remember, our boy Mad Men has his own show, Shock Monkey Radio, every Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Or just subscribe like you uh, subscribe just, to. Yeah. Just subscribe to it and boost his numbers so well because I know he would really appreciate I it. I would. Um, and remember, Enos has got his other two um, Facebook pages. He's got Batman Yesterday, Today, and Forever and the Realm of Com- superhero comics and pop culture. Make Bingo. sure you check those out. You I go. cheated. I haven't pulled up here, so I don't know. <laughs> <that didn't. laughs> so until next time, we're going to be down here wondering, do you think the 3D man is just not impressed with 3D movies? <laughs> Why, <laughs> Madman? Because we are lost in the long box. <laughs> yes, we are. Thank Good night, you guys. everyone. Good night, everyone. <laughs> I would like to know.